0: Welcome to the Finding Fertile Ground podcast, where I discover stories of grit, resilience, and connection. I'm your host, Marie Gigi, and this podcast is brought to you by Fertile Ground Communications. Please subscribe and leave us a review if you like what you hear. As a writer and marketing communications coach, I am fascinated by stories. I help people discover what makes them special and help them share that with the world. If you need help with your website, marketing materials, Resume, proposal, or any kind of writing, look us up on com. This week, I interviewed Lauren Devera whose childhood pain centered around feeling like she was always left out or not Filipino enough. This followed her into adulthood and sparked her passion to build community and hold spaces for others to be themselves. Now she's a positive psychology practitioner, yoga and mindfulness teacher, movement artist, podcaster, and life coach. Lauren left a comfortable life of a nine to five job to pursue her passions and then COVID hit. She had to learn how to pivot her business and take it online. She's lived on a faith and determination to get her through unstable times. Now, let's meet Lauren.
1: Hello, Lauren. How are you doing today? I am doing lovely. How are you? I'm doing well. So you live
0: in Alexandria, Virginia, right?
1: Yeah, like 20 minutes outside of Washington, D.C.
0: Oh, that must be an interesting place to live right now.
1: Yes, it has been super interesting.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, did you grow up there? Can you tell us about your childhood, about your life beginnings? What was your? Yes, childhood?
1: absolutely. Yeah. So, my parents came to California from the Philippines around like '90. Actually, I'll be wrong on the year. I don't know when it was, but uh-huh. I was born in San Diego, California, and then at the age of one, we decided to move to Virginia. My dad had children from a previous marriage, so. We left the beautiful California to come to Herndon, Virginia, or Mm. Falls Church, actually. And yeah, I grew up in technically as an only child, but a blended family with half siblings from my dad's side, half siblings from my mom's side. There was a huge age difference, like 15 years was the smallest gap between me and my next sibling. And my parents had me very late. My mom was 42 when she had me. So technically, I grew up as an only child. I'm Filipino American, I did not learn the language. So I actually grew up kind of speaking Spanish, I had a Peruvian babysitter. And then when I entered into elementary school, I was was like all types of confused. I was put into speech therapy classes, I think because I was having an accent on certain things. But yeah, and I grew up as a dancer. My dad was an avid ballroom dancer and my mom put me in ballet classes and the dance portion like really impacted the direction of my life. But I grew up as a Christian going to church every week, being highly involved, dancing five days a week and entering into high school, being a part of the step team and being super involved and kind of like a social butterfly. Mm. So that was kind of that's, that's like the quickest breakdown of my childhood. But my parents divorced when I was in fifth grade. So sometimes I forget that. It's funny how we kind of just brush over some of these impactful things that have happened. But my parents divorced when I was in fifth grade. And after that, a lot of things changed. Like where we were living changed. Like we went from living in a super preppy suburban neighborhood to my mom and I in a low-income apartment complex. And just like the culture around me shifted. And growing up with just my mom in the house also had a lot of impact on my emotional state and my ability to regulate my emotions, my ability to express myself in a safe way. And these are all things that I learned much, much later, obviously, through the trainings that I've done and the things that I've been into. But yeah, I think that kind of answers. (laughs) So did your parents speak English much? So you know, what's funny is they were speaking English to me. And They were speaking in Tagalog, one of the native languages of the Philippines, whenever they were arguing. (laughs) So I like I associate hearing that language as out of anger and painful things. And, you know, this is not to knock my parents. I love them both very much, you know, and at the time you don't really understand and you're hearing one side. And, you know, I didn't really hear my dad's side of the story till much, much, much later. But yeah, it was English in the house. And I wish I could say I'm multilingual. I'm not there yet. You
0: probably could pick up a lot more than you could say, huh? That's usually how it is. It's child of immigrants.
1: Yes. I would say like Spanish was really easy for me. Like I aced it in middle school, high school, and college. And unfortunately, I did not stick with it. And I think, you know, during this quarantine that we're in, if I can carve out the space, I would love to pick up Spanish again. Have you gone back to visit the Philippines? Do you still have family there? Yeah. So... This is one of those crazy things is that as I've gotten older, I've really realized that I don't know that much about my family history, about my culture, even as a Filipino American. And I'm actually mixed. My mom is half Polish and she's half Polish, half Filipino. My dad's full Filipino with some threads of Chinese and, you know, all Filipinos have some Spanish in them because of what happened. Uh, But I have only been to the Philippines once. And that was my senior year of high school. And we were there for three weeks and it was incredible and obviously a culture shock mm-hmm. at the same time and i have not been back so i'm so glad you actually asked that question because as of this week i've been really thinking about you know my why and the long-term vision and i had written down that i want to have the freedom to travel back and forth to california more often because my mom lives there my dad mm-hmm. lives here in virginia but the philippines yeah, I love that you brought that back to the forefront of my mind that I, I do want to tap more into that into that side of me. And there's a whole underlaying story to that of how I just never felt like I fit in with Filipinos. And that's my own limiting belief that I have around my own culture.
0: So I lived in Japan for three years when I was in my 20s. Wow. And we got to travel throughout Asia. And I really wanted to go to the Philippines. But at the time, because I'm way older than you, at the time, it was really not a good time to go to the Philippines. Hmm. I think it was the time of the Marcos I'm trying to remember exactly when it was. I mean, when the Marcos were in power, but it it was not a safe place to go. But I've always had regret about that because I have a number of Filipino friends and I like Filipino food.
1: (laughs) Oh, girl. Yeah, Mm I know. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So you talked about you had some childhood pain around not feeling like you fit in. I've heard that from a lot of immigrant friends or second generation immigrant friends. Can you talk a little bit more
1: about that? You know, there's so many layers to that. I remember my mom's uh, stepmother was living with us, basically like my step-grandma. And this was like probably around the age of five or six. And she'd walk me to the bus stop and she would compliment and praise all the white girls, right? Mm Oh, pretty girl with blonde hair, blue eyes. Mm. And that really made an imprint in me. Like for the longest time, I, I wanted to be white. And that's not something that I actually said out loud till like 20 years later, because that shifted for me, obviously, as I started to grow and mature you know i started to own who i was and how i looked but there's so many layers to that as well as just being born into a family where there were already siblings who established a dynamic and Mm. a culture and a relationship. And all my siblings were born in the Philippines. My dad has four boys and a daughter from his first marriage. And my mom has two daughters from her first marriage. Oh, wow. You had a lot of siblings. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I became like an aunt at the age of five. So (laughs) it was always this weird dynamic of like, okay, I'm a sibling, but then I'm also an auntie, but I'm also really close to my nephew and nieces age. So, you know, even at a family party, it's like, okay, which table do I sit at with the Mm. adults or with my nephews and nieces? I think also too, like not growing up in the stereotypical Asian household, Filipino household, it made it hard for me to relate to other Filipinos. And Mm. in my elementary school, middle school, high school, I was always one of like four Filipinos, three oh. Filipinos. And then fast forward to college, I went to Old Dominion University in Norfolk where there's a naval base down there. And then all of a sudden I was surrounded by Filipinos everywhere And there's obviously so nice, so hospitable. You know, I I love being Filipina, but there's definitely some differences. And I feel like even when I went to the Philippines or just Asian culture in general, right? Like, oh, you don't want to get dark. You don't want to become tan. Like, keep Mm. your light skin. Like, that's really a thing. Like, I was there in the Philippines, even here when I went to Vegas. And, you know, there's some Filipino marts and grocery stores in Vegas or Asian marts. There's still soap that makes your skin whiter and uh, Taylor and this that yeah. was only three years ago when I yeah. was in Vegas so you know just a, a lot of not knowing the language not looking full Filipino because I'm not and you know the humor is different and just a whole lot and so adding the family dynamic and not speaking the native tongue and the culture I always felt like the other. And Mm -hmm. that manifested for me in a positive way for, you know, transition to where I am now of wanting to create space for people to feel like they belong. Mm -hmm. Because on top of all of that, I am sensitive, I'm a cancer, I'm nurturing, you know, I care really deeply. And in turn, you know, that can the pains that I went through of caring so much and not necessarily feeling like that was reciprocated on the other end.
0: There's these cultural expectations for women in a lot of Asian cultures. Like I had this friend in Japan, she was Chinese Japanese American and the Japanese did not know what to do with her <laughs> because she was very, she yeah. was from California. She was like a Valley girl, like an Asian Valley girl. And mm-hmm. I loved her. She was so awesome. But obviously she was not a Japanese woman because of the way she behaved, you know, that people would talk to her, that they'd realize her language was not yep.
1: as good. So mm-hmm.
0: yeah, it was hard for her to fit in. I think hard for her to figure out her place really. yeah,
1: oh. it's a difficult thing. I mean, like outside looking in, you know, there's also that other layer of like, Ooh, you're mixed, you're exotic. Like there's just so Ooh, many layers right. that you don't realize as you're growing up. Holy crap. Like I am carrying multiple labels and with the people that I'm supposed to feel safe with, I don't feel safe with. So where is the safe space?
0: So you said that your parents got divorced when you were, how old were you when they got divorced? Fifth fifth grade. So I think 10. How is divorce viewed in the Filipino community?
1: When you look back on those memories, it's kind of like a tunnel vision. I don't really know what our Filipino community was even saying or thinking or, you know, I think that also goes back to like the relationship dynamics that I witnessed with my mom and my dad like I don't really recall them bringing a lot of people over mm. and probably a lot of that was like they were unhappy mm-hmm. and so I didn't really even get to witness full blown flourishing relationships as a child watching the adults do their thing but you know we were heavily connected with the church so that's what I remember was my mom you know, was always talking with the pastor, asking for prayer, trying to gain strength to walk away from the relationship. Obviously, you know, they were married about 10 years before the divorce happened. And they both had been previously divorced. And there's just so mm. many layers. And for me, like, I think I was this is going to sound horrible, but I was relieved when they decided to divorce at the time, because mm-hmm. I was witnessing how stressed and sad and overwhelmed my mom was, and yeah, it's sad when you think back towards it. And I look at her now, and I I, I see resilience, which is why I loved your show, like the resilience and the grit. I saw that in my own mother, even though it looked different mm-hmm. than how maybe I would have done things, and that also took a lot of work. A lot of years for me to forgive both of them for certain things in my life. And when you get to that point, when you look at your parents and you realize, wow, they're not really the know-it-alls that they seem to be growing up. (laughs) They didn't have their shit together and looking at them in the eyes and the lens of compassion and wow, like they didn't have access to the tools that all of us have access to now. Like everything that's on social media, like I I could Google a hashtag and find something that's going to help me in the moment when this stuff wasn't accessible for them And also probably the underlying layer of being an Asian American, not talking about your problems. Like I'm pretty sure my dad was more so on that side. My mom was extremely expressive, but I don't necessarily know that the expressiveness was always productive and sometimes it was damaging. Yeah. So you said your mom,
0: she worked really hard so you could pursue dance. She had to work around the clock. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Dance costs a lot of money, doesn't it? To study.
1: It does. Yeah. I mean, growing up, you know, my I think my dad was willing to be like, yo, we can stop her dance lessons. But that's one thing where my mom was like, no, she's going to stay dancing. Mm-hmm. And there were many moments where I wanted to quit because back then, like ballet was a popular thing, you know, hip hop and street dance styles. That was not accessible for me at that age. So at the time, I'm thinking, man, is this the only thing for dance? Like yeah, ballet? ballet? Yeah. Right. And, you know, thankfully I stayed in it and I got introduced to modern dance. And when it got Time to applying for colleges, you know, I was going to go for psychology. And then at the last minute, I think I decided to do dance. I said, if I'm going to be here for four years, I'm going to do something that I love. And at the time that I was applying, my trajectory was to move to LA mm-hmm. or um, New York. But I am grateful that I had parents that have fully supported my dance and the artist within me. I know that there are some Asian families that don't support that and wanted their kid to take the nursing route or the doctor route they definitely allowed me to do what I wanted to do. And I'm so very grateful for that.
0: Yeah, that's great. You had that support. So let's talk a little bit about your career. I know you said you pivoted your business because of COVID-19. So take us from after you graduated, what did you do next?
1: Ooh, okay, (laughs) so... (laughs) So after college graduation, I came back from Norfolk I moved back home to Northern Virginia and I had a full time job working at a credit union and I was really good at that. I was amazing at customer service, really good at like selling products and services, all the skill sets I did not know I'd be using later. And then I moved into like a government contract was working there full time really loved my coworkers and the work that I was doing. But I knew looking within that company that there was no other role that I wanted to grow into there was nothing that excited me. And so 2013, I quit that full time job. And I was going to pursue teaching dance full time in the DC metropolitan area. I had gotten accepted to a A dance program in LA, and I was raising money to go to LA. And then one day in that summer, in that small little pocket of time where I did not have health insurance, I had been insured my entire life. There was this one little pocket of time where I wasn't, and I tore my ACL. Oh my gosh. Like a month before I was supposed to go to LA. And- I was like, what the heck just happened? I just quit my stable job with benefits and everything and to do this dance thing. And now I'm busted and no medical insurance, not a lot in the savings. And 2013 was crazy. It was horrible. It was also the same year that my mom left Virginia and moved to California. And on top of that layer, like I was coming out of a relationship. So 2013 was just one of those years that I'll never forget. And you know I really think that that's when the resilience and the grit started to show up for me. I did what I could to get some therapy for my knee and I moved back in, I think with my sister for like six months. I was living with a roommate for the first time because my mom had moved and was just trying to get my life back together. And I was like, okay, well now I have to find another job beyond teaching dance because I have a torn ACL. And I, at the same time, was also directing a dance Company with this big old brace on my knee. And wow. at the time being, i you know, you're not realizing that you are like actually killing it. Like you are still showing up and using yeah. the dance thing when you could have like completely sat at home and like cried your eyes out, which I cried many, many times. But mm-hmm. fast forward, I get another part-time job at another credit union while I'm teaching dance. And then fast forward, I actually get fired from. <laughs> Oh no! One of those credit unions, I'm, I'm, I don't think I've said that on a podcast. So that's dope. I got fired. There was a lot of unfairness, not necessarily the company, but within the space, the work environment I was in. And it was toxic. Like back then, you, you don't understand why things are not working out. But now looking back, I'm like, that was a really toxic environment. And like some people were like out to get me that just did not like me. But you know, I believe everything happens for a reason. I then worked at a church full time. So I've been a little bit all over, but everything I believe had a reason. So I worked at a church for 10 months at a church here in Alexandria, and I worked as the connections director. So it was my job to take care of the new people that are coming into the church, direct them to where they want to go and kind of be that liaison between the new person and the lead pastor. And that was crazy in itself. I mean, it was four to five church services between Saturday and Sunday. So now my my life has completely... Completely shifted. I'm at church on Saturday, Sunday almost every day of the week, and still trying to do this dance thing. And I always have found a way like I created a dance group at the church and this and the third fast forward, I'm dating someone else. And I had started um, an adult dance class, like I just started renting space. I think this was like the end of 2014 to 2015. I'd been teaching dance. Sorry, I left that part out. I've been teaching dance since 2010, like since college graduation, nonstop, despite all of this. And I got to a point where I'm like, man, I want to have a dance class where my friends my age, can come take my class and not have to pay a registration fee and not be required to you know do all the things that a typical dance studio does Mm -hmm. so there was a studio that I was teaching bar at and I proposed to her hey can I like lead my own dance class I'll take care of my own marketing I'll make my own flyer I'll take care of sign in I'll clean up and I'll lock up and I had been doing that since 2015 and I was catering to people that love choreography and then I opened up a second part of it which was a dance session for street dancers that don't necessarily want to take class, but they just want to come together and get down. And so when I tore my ACL, I got more into the street styles of hip hop house and popping, I tore my ACL while doing choreography. And so that also opened the door for other styles of dance where I had more freedom with my body as opposed to choreography where you're, you're limited to doing the same movement over and over, depending on like the show or the choreography. Mm -hmm. I took what I was doing. It was on a Tuesday night. It didn't have a name. The session had a name. It was called The Lion's Den. At the time, my dance name was Lioness. It's still Lioness. I don't use it as often, but I had long, curly red hair, and I legit looked like a lion. And (laughs) So that's kind of how that name came about. And then the person that I was dating at the time was like, yo, we can make this into a full time business, like take what you do on a Tuesday and scale it. And he was well ahead of me as far as like business minded, entrepreneurial minded, and just being a visionary. And so I took that risk, I quit the full time job at the church, we now got this space with another tenant. And we created this space called Baha'i base. Baha'i means home in Tagalog. Mm -hmm. And so it's like the home base. And it was supposed to be like a, a home base for all dancers. And we killed it for 10 months, I think. At the same time, I was teaching at George Washington University and like finding other ways to make income while we were doing this. It was amazing, but on the outside looking in, it was amazing. Internally, I was crumbling. I was gaining weight, I was stressed. Me and my partner at the time, we were arguing all the time. We did not see eye to eye. And what once was like my safe space now became my stressful space because we took something and we scaled it. There was no plan in place. Granted, we did really well. Fast forward to May 2017, I thought my partner at the time had the business stuff locked in. It was not locked in and we were forced to move out within three days. Oh my gosh. And in these three days, there was mirrors that we had put up that we had to take down, take down the floor take everything out of the space, make an announcement on our social media channels. I was also in North Carolina at the time of this closing. Like I had was teaching a workshop in North Carolina and it was all this crazy madness. So within that we shut down the studio and that relationship also ended. And my ex at the time also wanted to still do this business, right? Like still find another building, make another Baha'i base elsewhere. And I was like, no, this is not life-giving. Mm-hmm. I am not going to do this. There's no way this is going to be healthy for me to be surrounded by my ex and my ex's <laughs> family. No shade to them. They're amazing people. And I'm still friends with, you know, certain people from that community, but no. And so the summer of 2017, I was like, man, I, I'm going to do something for me. You know, I was so stressed and my friends saw it, you know, they were witnessing my stress and they were witnessing the changes in me. I was super irritable. You know, just a lot of things you're not aware of at the time when crazy. Craziness is happening. And summer 2017, I went to New York. I spent like 10 days out there and I just poured into myself. I, I got into yoga. I took a three day, 10 hour dance training, learning from some of the best in the world. And then after that trip, I was like, you know what? I'm going to bring back my dance class. My dance class had been consistent since I had started in the end of 2014. And then those three months in 2017, I stopped it. And I was like, you know what? I can do this. I don't need the people that I thought I needed in my corner because not only was I losing a space, Marie, I was losing a community. I lost mm. friendships who yeah. were mad at me for not wanting to start the business again. They didn't understand the reasoning behind it. They thought I was selfish. And on top of that, probably some of the shame that I, was, I felt like I was facing with the community being on board for something and then seeing it ending within 10 months. And so August 2017, I was like, I'm going to bring back my class. I'm going to find some space and I'm going to make a flyer and we're going to do this thing. And I had my girlfriend make a flyer. I had space in a grocery store. They had like a conference room. It was free. Someone from church had told me about it. And I had like 25 people on that first night back. And that really was like lighting the match for something massive to really grow. And then the Lions then just became legitimized over the years. I became an LLC last year and we've grown and evolved so much. I know that was a long story, but fast forward to where we're at now, once COVID nineteen hit, I took us online within two days. Like there we didn't skip a beat. So you weren't online before? We were not online before. I only took it online oh. in March because of COVID. You yeah. have such a great
0: website. That's amazing. Thank you just you. done it really quickly. Wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So actually, yeah, those things all align. Like the website, I I launched that in January of 2020. Shout Mm -hmm. out to my girl, Jessica. She's also the producer of my podcast. She's just an amazing human. So we did that. And I was just thinking, holy moly, if I didn't have this website in place before the pandemic, I don't really know how I would have taken everything online that quickly. So you
0: completely pivoted your business to be totally online. Do you have online classes and things like that?
1: Yeah. So on top of like the lion's end going online, I kind of launched another brand called Mind Move Matter. This year, like pre-COVID, I was teaching dance, bar, yoga, and meditation at George Washington University, NPR, DOE, like many multiple places. And then they all shut down. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to take those classes that I was doing and turn them into online classes and still host them. And I did that in March. And so I've been hosting yoga, bar, meditation and dance classes online since the end of March. But for the time being, all of our virtual experiences at the Lion's Den and Mind Move Matter have been online and we do some things in person if we're all going to wear a mask and, you know, we limit the number of people. But yeah, and you know, I'm sure you understand as a fellow business owner, like you can only plan so far ahead. We don't know when this is going to be done. And I'm looking to do the best that I can on the online space while it's here. And honestly, as many business owners can say, the online space has been a blessing because now we've been able to host events and we've had people in different countries taking our classes. And yeah.
0: Yeah, there are some definite silver linings to Online. Well, you just sound like you're quite the go-getter because you just keep, you know, rebooting yourself. (laughs) It's amazing. It's amazing. I wonder where did you get that from? That ability to just reboot over and over again.
1: Ooh, I like that question. (laughs) Oh man! Wow, I've never thought about that because not everybody is able to do that. No. You know, I I think a lot of it has to do. I'm really into like the personality types, the Myers Briggs, and uh, what's the other one? Um, The Gallup. Yeah. Enneagram, Gallup Strengths. When I started really getting into those and seeing language around me, I was like, holy crap, all of this makes sense. Like, what are you that? I am. An ENFP, uh-huh. so I'm a campaigner. Uh-huh. Um, for the Gallup, my top strengths are strategic, futuristic, belief, input. So I love oh gathering. Oh my
0: gosh, we have a lot in common, Lauren.
1: Yeah, <laughs> oh my I believe it. I, you know, sometimes I can tell just by the by small ch- chit chat with someone, <sighs> you know, and I can you can just it's a certain energy. Yeah, yeah. So I felt that from you immediately. Yeah. When I got on here. And what about the enneagram? Are you a seven? You know, I'm not entirely sure. I was trying to take the test and then... It was not clear. Like I got a result and I was like, that doesn't seem right. <laughs> so I'm I have, not sure. <laughs> I,
0: have an, I have an Enneagram story about that. It'd be interesting to see if you were the same way. Uh, I yeah. When I took the Enneagram test online, I was a two. So a two is a helper.
1: Yes. I think that was one really? of the first ones yeah. I got. And yeah. I'm like, I don't know.
0: Right, right. My husband is a pure two. When I read the paragraph, the seven really resonated with me more than the two. And the other yeah. thing I realized is that the two, the dark side of the two, you know, they want to help, but... they want to be thanked for the help. It's very important to be thanked. I mean, I like to be thanked, but it's not as important to me as it is to my husband. (laughs) So so hearing him talk about that, like, here's the example he shared. You know, if you're driving along and somebody lets you into traffic and if you don't wave, he he was saying like, if somebody doesn't (laughs) wave back at me, I get really mad. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't always wave back.
1: I can relate to that a little bit.
0: (laughs) No, I do. I always wave back. But that is why it's like, oh, yeah, maybe I'm not a two. And then I learned that a lot of sevens often test as twos. And so- read the okay. descriptions, that might actually help you more. Sevens are, see, that's why I think you're a seven because you're, you're constantly rebooting. You're constantly creating something new and that's total seven. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. yeah. No, it's funny. I like took it a few times because like, the first time I was like, that doesn't seem like me. And then seven came up and I was like, that seems a lot more like me. Yeah. But right. yeah, I mean, I think it shows up even young as a kid. Like I was starting clubs or, yes. you know, wanting to do a newspaper trail for the whole neighborhood and, <laughs> oh, you know, like putting on shows with my Beanie Babies. Oh like my it,
0: gosh, that it, sounds so much like me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like for example my church youth group was basically dead and so I decided I would revive it and so I started the youth group and I was a president and like yes and we had it entirely ourselves and yeah I've always been drawn to like starting things or leading things so we sound very similar
1: <laughs> yes I love yeah, it but you so know much. really
0: honestly we actually I feel like in some ways this ability to reboot and to be resilient is actually a form of privilege I think mm-hmm. because not yeah. not everybody has that ability and it's hard to train somebody in how to to be that way.
1: Absolutely. I totally agree. I think you know when when you're talking to a friend and they're going through something and you're seeing optimism and you're seeing solution and they don't see it at all, it can be it's frustrating and it also saddens my heart too that they're limiting themselves and they just, they don't realize it. And even when you try to articulate it and they're not ready to receive it, you know?
0: The other advantage that you and I both had was that we had parents who believed in us.
1: Your mom did everything she could to keep you in dance. Yes. And that
0: probably got into your consciousness.
1: That yes, you. absolutely. No, that's great. I'm so glad you pointed that out because I will send her a text message <laughs> or FaceTime her yeah. and thank her for never stopping putting me and dance and for putting me through college as a you know single parent at the time. I was an elementary ed major in college. And then my junior
0: year, I took advanced composition. And my professor said, have you ever thought about majoring in English? And then I switched to English. I had no idea what I was going to do. And my parents were big believers in, ed- in education. So they never balked at my changing. I love, you know? yeah. So I'm grateful for that as well that they were supportive. My oldest son was a theater major. So (gasps) I tried to do the best I could to (laughs) not say, what are you going to do with your life? Mm -hmm. um, He actually (laughs) works at Whole Foods right now, which is actually like one of the most reliable jobs you can have at the
1: moment. No, they take care (laughs) of their people. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's getting premium pay and, you know, it's not what he wanted to do with, you know. Not yet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right now, theater is not not a very secure place to be at the moment.
1: It's funny because at the time of college, I got a degree in dance performance, not dance education. And one of our classes was teaching principles, And I remember... It was my first time teaching and like actually being assessed for it. Like I w- actually started teaching at the, the college gym at, at, during my freshman year. And that was my first lick of teaching. But during the course, my professor was like, oh my gosh, Lauren, you're an incredible teacher. Mm. And I looked at her a little crazy at the time because I you know I'm an artist. I'm <laughs> moving to New York and or L.A. and I'm going to be on stage. And, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of look down on like those that were teaching Who knew that having that teaching skill set would be exactly what we need, you know, for anything, even hosting a podcast, you're basically teaching. So I'm grateful for that.
0: Yeah, that's great. Do you have any
1: sense of loss that
0: you didn't go to New York to dance?
1: You know, I don't think so. As As I've grown in my awareness of myself and how I operate and the things that I value, I really value freedom and flexibility and creativity and i tried i went to la for a vacation i was 23 or 24 and i hated it just did not like the culture i as far as like dance you know and mm-hmm. i just couldn't imagine myself living that lifestyle at the time. And I think that's a part that's missing when we're educating others, particularly the youth, on like, where do they want to go in life? What type of job do they want? The number one question is, what kind of lifestyle do you want to have? Even though I am free-spirited and, and this, that, and the third, there's a huge part of me that clings on to stability and wants to feel safe and grounded. And I just didn't feel like that was possible in that space and i'm so grateful that i didn't move because now i've been able to build the type of community that i wish was there for me and making dance accessible regardless if you want to be a professional or not so really the mission is dance is an expression and you don't need to be training to be a professional to do it you do it because it feels good and it's empowering and you learn so much from dance Between confidence and discipline and owning your body, like owning it and really loving it, regardless of what it looks like. Well, what I love about your
0: story is that it took me a while. You know, I was in the corporate world for, gosh, probably almost as long as you've been alive, really. I worked (laughs) really because I'm 55. Oh, you look good, girl. Wow. (laughs) Thank you. So I had, had, you know, and I had some really great bosses, but in the last several years of of my life in the corporate world, I had a number of really difficult bosses, and I was working in yeah. some toxic places. Mm-hmm. And now, even though I'm not making enough money, you know, to equate to my corporate income, that's my goal. But I love being my own boss and being creative. Yes. And, and so, what I love about your story is you discovered that way younger in your life, mm. right? So, yeah you have that freedom. And if you were part of a dance company, or if you were tied down to something, you Mm -hmm. know, you have all these restrictions on your freedom.
1: Absolutely. And that's the thing that I think about all the time is, as I was working in a office space and in a corporate space, I always had an idea for how things could be better. And I'm sure you were like that too, or yes. a different way to do things. And yeah. if we weren't in spaces that nourished that, it felt suffocating. It felt like we weren't valued. And, you know, that puts a real damper on your self esteem and it just makes you angry. I was angry when I was in certain spaces just because I felt unvalued. Yeah, I, same thing, you know, I'm still trying to be a full fledged business owner where I'm making not an X amount of dollars, but making more than enough that I'm not checking my bank account, you know, and I believe that that's possible for me and for you. And, and it's going to take the resilience factor that a lot of people don't want to wait or do the work, you know, they'd rather do the not fun work five days a week, 40 hours a week, To then have the fun for the two to three weeks of the year. And that's fine. Like some people operate that way, or maybe some people really love their nine to five. But I know for me, I want to enjoy every day. I get excited waking up in the morning just because it's going to be quiet. I can journal the cup of coffee and those things matter to me every day. I want to feel that not on someone else's schedule.
0: Yes, definitely. In the middle of the night, I was thinking about the podcast interview with you. You know, it's like you get excited about these things and The other thing that I I really struggled with in the office environment is when you see other people not being treated well and you're Mm -hmm. helpless to do anything about it. And I would love to grow my company where I can hire people and I have a strict no asshole rule. (laughs) So,
1: you know, I love it.
0: It gives us an opportunity to create a space like you have done with the Lions Den where you are welcoming and supportive and I mean obviously you know, we have to make money, so it's not like it's a free for all, but business can be done in a respectful compassionate yes, way yeah. absolutely so let's talk a little bit about your podcast you just launched thrive yeah. and thread oh. is, yeah I listened to a little bit of it but you oh my gosh pitch? Yeah. oh wow
1: <laughs> it's still so brand new so I still get those butterflies a podcast has been on my like ideas notebook for years and the timing was just divine. Like I told you, my girl Jessica, who did my website and my recent branding photos, she wanted to produce and partner with me on this. And I'm like, heck, yeah, two Filipino girls, two creatives coming together to start something. And and so we were toying with the name for about two months. And I just love the word like thrive. That Thank great. you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. So we looked at my website and you know, we we're looking at words that kept showing up. And thread was on there and thrive. Like I am also certified in positive psychology and that's probably where like the thriving and flourishing in our life really became more present for me as far as not just surviving as a human, but thriving towards wellness, right? Just because there's a lack of disease does not mean we're well. I loved it. I was like thrive and thread. I'm a dancer and thread all the connections between all the things. And that's how that name came about. And I just was like, I'm going to speak on topics that people always ask me about. And I started teaching meditation last year. And so I was like, let's bring this onto the podcast. And the meditation did really, really well. And I have another one coming up. We're going to, I'm going to have regular meditations. And then also it dawned on me, hey, I'm also a movement teacher. I teach dance, yoga. I teach people how to move their bodies. What would it be like to bring that onto the podcast where you don't have to watch me I'm just going to guide you. I'm in your ears and I'm guiding you on how to like do a gentle stretch before you sleep or do a morning stretch or how to, you know, stretch your hips. So that's something that I'm looking to do in the future. Very cool. It's fun, isn't it? (laughs) It's a lot of fun. And I am also recognizing it's funny that the resistance that you encounter when you're doing a podcast can be an actual topic for an episode. Mm-hmm. Like I talked about how I even got started with a podcast. I, I want to do an episode talking about analysis paralysis and how we oh. are the bottleneck in our own productivity. And mm-hmm. I think part of me felt pressured to do a podcast episode, like how most people were doing, like with an outline and the bullet points and this, this, this. And I'm like, you know, sometimes I don't want to do that. I just want to talk. I just, want to like be there with someone. And so I'm going to explore that as I record the next few episodes with not feeling the pressure to speak in such a linear manner. Uh, so
0: you mentioned awesome. that you've dealt with polycystic ovarian syndrome. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So well, let's be real. I first got my period in seventh grade and it was like, whoa, this seems like way more than the average girl. Really? <laughs> like, oh, yes, gosh. it was Horrible. And then I wasn't getting it every month. And so throughout middle school, high school, every doctor was like, oh, it's because you're athletic. I'm like, not athletic, really. And all the other dancers are getting their period every month and they dance just as much as I do. Like it's not that. And then fast forward, I think to 2013 or 14, I finally found a OBGYN who did some testing, took some biopsies and turns out I have polycystic ovarian syndrome. And at that time, there wasn't a lot of education on it that I was aware of. I was just told that I might have trouble getting pregnant. I was told to get on birth control to regulate my period and maybe to change my diet, but there was no specificity around. How to regulate this thing. And I, you know, I got on birth control on and off, on and off, hated it, just mm-hmm. like most people do. It's absolutely crazy that we just prescribe this thing, mm-hmm. you know, to put in our body and mess with our hormones. And, you know, all the side effects that come with uh, birth control. And while I was getting my period every month, the side effects were just, I was like, I don't care. I'm just going to get off this pill. And so that's like another territory that I, I want to explore and and make it an intentional goal to take care of this because there's a lot of side effects that I didn't realize were happening. Like I get extremely tired um, in the afternoon. And I thought that was like most people like, oh, we all get that post-lunch slump. right? Fatigue and, you know, the anxiety and the the thinking of things all the time. I thought that was normal as well because a lot of people have anxiety and just things like that. And I would notice that like my lymphatic system was, I'm sometimes looking swollen and oh, wow. just becoming more aware of these things. I'm like, oh my God, this is horrible. Mm. And after 30, like I was able to eat whatever I wanted before, but now oh, I know. my you. body's changing. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I'm like, holy crap. My, and so the rise of social media and the rise of education on social media. I follow a lot of PCOS accounts, polycystic ovarian syndrome accounts, and everyone across the board is saying gluten, dairy. Uh is so not good for us. And I've played with it a little bit. It's hard for me to make that hard cut yeah. because let's be real, before quarantine, I was not cooking. I am not your typical Filipino <laughs> girl. I was not in the kitchen. I was eating out because my, I put my energy elsewhere. I was right. either dancing or taking class or reading or just wanting to do something else. So I definitely think the the diet portion and you know, some of them have said too about the type of workouts that we do, that the slower pace is better and things of that sort. And yeah, sometimes I, I get in my head about it and I get like really nervous and scared for the future. But once me and my fiance get married and I get on his insurance, I'm going to do my best to find the oh best God. doctor so I can get this thing under control so that a couple of years from now can, you know,
0: try and start to have babies. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, I think I probably had that as well because my periods were really irregular through a lot of my life and that I had a lot of problems getting pregnant as well. So, oh. Um, I do have three children now. So there Amazing. you There's Amazing. Home. Yeah. And that's a whole other story. I have lots of stories about that, but wow. I, won't,
1: I won't get into that. I'll have there. to bring you on my podcast so yeah, they can hear your story. <laughs> talk about infertility, yes.
0: man. Yeah, oh, yes. Definitely. And my husband is actually gluten-free and dairy-free so <gasps> as as is one of my sons, sort of. So wow. I know a lot about that. Yeah. I wonder whether maybe like some alternative health approaches might be good for you, like a natural yeah. health or something like that maybe could help you. I'm down. That. You yeah. can send me
1: those resources.
0: Yeah. yeah. I will, yeah. But I was on the pill for years as well and uh, my body kind of got used to it. I mean, there's so many more birth control choices now than there were when, when I was needing to be on birth control. Mm-hmm. So. How are you feeling about the state of the US right now? <laughs> are you feeling <laughs> Oh hopeful? my gosh. Are you feeling hopeful? Are you feeling in despair or both? <laughs> you know-
1: As a woman of faith, I'm just so grateful that, you know, I've never relied on our government or politics or anything externally really to like take care of us. But things are different for me as now I'm engaged to a black man who is in law enforcement.
0: Oh, really? He's in law enforcement. Yeah, Yeah, he's a deputy
1: sheriff. So that has been really interesting witnessing, you know, him coming home and especially when it was like really hot and heavy in June. Just watching him because, you know, our friends are like, F the police or, you know, defund the police and then like texting him, checking up on him and he, he didn't know how to respond. Yeah, I think things are coming to light. I think none of this is new. All of this has been happening and now there's just light shining on it and people are being exposed and organizations are being exposed and it almost feels like a a pruning is happening you know even within the facebook groups that you and i are both a part of and watching these leaders get called out and reading emails of these founders and co-founders making apology statements and you know i'm glad that it came to the light i'm glad that it opened up people's eyes i obviously saddened that it had to take what it took in may for that to really start to you know spark that flame but i believe especially with the racial injustice it's going to take beyond our lifetime that's years and years and years and years yeah it's not going to be one you know one-stop shop Mm -hmm. here we fixed it because i'll always say this it really comes down to like everyone's individual character the deep ingraining of people's hearts and how do we retrain hearts? I don't know. And so I it's definitely on all of us as individuals to do our part and to keep being the best human beings and show love and compassion and to do that work. I think more of us need to do the work or at least be aware of the work that needs to be done.
0: Yeah, you've mentioned that you're a person of faith. How does your faith integrate with your feelings about social justice? And- oh, yeah, I'm a
1: Christian and, you know, reading the Bible and reading what happened to Jesus and his day when he was here on earth it it is it has been here since the beginning of time since you know if we want to talk faith related since sin has been on this earth there has been injustice in every capacity and I'm not mad at God for it it's not a blame game for me it's looking at it that we live in a fallen world and I know I sound super spiritual right now and I don't know what other language to use but we live in an effed up world Mm -hmm. and I think every person has a purpose that they serve and within our own purpose, we can start to heal each other, we can start to create the peace that we're all longing for. As far as from a faith standpoint, I'm constantly praying, especially, you know, with COVID-19, I shifted in how I pray. I'm not just now praying over the health and safety of my parents. I now need to pray for an actual vaccine to be found. Like there needs to be specificity in what I'm asking for and, and praying beyond my comfort zone and praying beyond the people in my circle. You know, our world has seen everything everything. So we're literally just walking through history. This is going to be in the history books later. And
0: yeah, I feel like my faith really informs how I feel about Black Lives Matter and social justice. I believe in a radical Jesus. So yeah, (laughs) I'm not a typical Christian. So (laughs) yeah.
1: No, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that could be a whole other episode in itself.
0: Well, it's just been so great to talk to you, Lauren. My final question
1: is, is there a story of grit, resilience, and connection that's been an inspiration for you in your life? I am in awe of, honestly, both my parents. My dad is almost 80. He's like 78. He's going to hate that I said this. (laughs) I love you, dad, but still working and still pushing and just has done anything and everything to provide for his children and still gives like he has everything in the world to give. It amazes me at his generosity. And he had prostate cancer, too. Mm -hmm. And he got through that. And my mom had breast cancer, quadruple bypass And she's here and pumping and like still going and just honoring and respecting what immigrant parents have done to get here and to provide for their children. And it inspires me when I become like a future mom. And my fiance has a daughter named Amelia. So oh, she's gonna be a stepmom. Yeah, Yeah. bonus mom. (laughs) Yeah, how old is she? She's five.
0: Oh, how fun!
1: Yes, she's amazing. It's just inspiring to me. Just to be the best human that I can be and just seeing that they haven't given up. Like my parents to me are like, wow, I hope I can still give to my children when i'm damn near 80 like i hope i have that in me i hope i have the resources to do that you know i think in their own minds you know maybe they didn't achieve what they wanted to achieve in life but it's like yes you did Mm. because you are very much still a parent that is present and caring for your child even though she's 32 that's a goal
0: it must be so hard for you to be so far away from your mom right now
1: oh my god yeah Does she have resources around her? Yes. So she lives with one of my sisters. Oh, good. And yeah, so she is happy as can be. She lives with my sister, my brother-in-law, and my niece, two dogs, and two birds, and healthy food. And- the ocean. And I mean, oh, I think she's wonderful. living her best life. Yeah. Good, good. I'm so glad.
0: Oh my gosh. Well, it's just been such a pleasure to get to know you,
1: Lauren. You too. Uh, it was so much too. fun. I hope you have more conversations in the future. Absolutely. I look forward to all the work that you will do and to have you on my podcast in the cool. future. Bye. <laughs>
0: Well, I hope you have a wonderful day.
1: Thank you. You too.
0: I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Lauren. I was amazed to discover how much we have in common, even though she's over 20 years younger than me. On the next episode, I interview Madison Ways, my youngest guest yet. Madison is a junior in high school trying to figure out her life after the death of her father. Her friends didn't understand or feel comfortable with her grief and weren't very nice to her at a time when she needed them most. She's been trying to rebuild a new life for herself, focusing on her schoolwork and developing a strong passion for social justice. She has cultivated a huge TikTok following with some controversial posts around inclusion, diversity, and politics. And since her dad's death, she's come out as a lesbian. Thanks for listening to the Finding Fertile Ground podcast. Our music is by jazz pianist Jonathan Swanson. This podcast is brought to you by Fertile Ground Communications. Look us up on FertileGroundCommunications.com.